You know, I can uh, eat a peach for hours. Do you want lunch? You're A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. I can't talk too long. I gotta poo. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! It's like looking in a mirror, only not. Buongiorno, listeners, and welcome <laughs> to the latest episode of uh, Birds Presents a Travolta Cage. Uh, I'm going to drop that immediately until we pick it back <laughs> up again uh, for appropriate reasons. Um, this is a podcast about the two greatest actors in movie history. I'm Clint Worthington. I am a senior writer at Consequence of Sound, now called Consequence. And the founder and editor in chief of the Spool, and I am Nathan Rabin from Nathan Rabin's Happy Place of Sound. Uh, we actually <laughs> decided to add that to our name. You could pick it up on the cheap. It's yeah. kind of inaccurate, but again, you know, it's, it's got some 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 good buzz, some good zazz. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we free boxed the of sound. We're doing it for the clout. Yeah, uh, but no, I am uh, the dude behind my website, uh, the co-host of this podcast, and the author of many books, uh, including the upcoming The Joy of Trash and uh, the even more upcoming The Weird Coloring to Al, which is my Weird Al Yankovic coloring book. And yesterday I watched a uh, a live podcast with uh, Gilbert Gottfried and Weird Al Yankovic, and he uttered the words, The Weird A Coloring to Al. And as with everything, (laughs) he did it much better than I did. Uh, But it was very, very, very exciting to hear those words. I just know that I will screw it up going forward, that I just have years and years and years of not being able to pronounce my own books. (laughs) It's a good thing that Travolta Cage has a simple name, or I would be flummoxed by it as well. Right. So you are the Nathan Rabin.com. <laughs> yes, I Amazing. am. Of sound. Right. <laughs> Dot com slash backslash <laughs> of sound. Um, so for those of you who are new to this podcast, uh, what we do is we're going through the filmographies of one Sir John Travolta and one Sir Nicholas Cage, who famously came together for a beautiful face off in Face Off and uh, tracking their sort of their intersections of their careers and their moods and their tone and their performances and we've got a weird double feature for you this week we're actually guest list we wanted to we wanted to soak in these two particular motion pictures just all on our own unadulterated by any outside influence and uh boy howdy it's a it's a it's a weird one um what are the two movies we've got coming up this week so we have the 2001 uh romantic war movie captain corelli's mandolin uh (laughs) with nicholas cage as the titular uh, captain corelli uh and the mandolin as the captain corelli's mandolin and then the other one is nora efron's adam resnick uh written a super flop lucky numbers a very 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 dark comedy about horrible people being terrible to each other. Indeed. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about one of those movies and the other one, Born <laughs> Me to Sleep. We'll, we, you stay tuned to find out which is which. But before we get into that, I want to remind everyone that we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Travolta Cage. We offer bonus podcasts to our patrons every month. We've done uh, Willie's Wonderland. We've done Our Friend Martin. And what are we going to do this <laughs> next month? What are we going to do this month? Oh, goodness. Uh, next, actually, I, I discovered one that I'm very, very excited about doing in part because it kind of overlaps with 
another big thing that I have to do, which is, uh, Clint, are you familiar with a service called Quibi? Oh, is that the one with quick <laughs> bites of entertainment? Uh, it's quick bites of entertainment. Long? You watch them on your phone. It's revolutionizing the world of entertainment. Yes. Uh, and in a funny development, that failed spectacularly. Uh, not unlike the movie Lucky Numbers. Um, so what happened was, I guess they all of uh, Quibi's content, it's it's Quibontent. Yeah, uh, well, ended up, with a Q. Ended yeah. up as a Roku original. <laughs> so I downloaded Roku channel, which I did not know existed. And yeah, as of May 20th, and this is incredibly, incredibly audacious. <laughs> they're going to brand or rebrand the content of the most disastrous launch in maybe the last 25 years as like their new stuff. Uh, so one of the things that they're going to be introducing is Die Heart, uh, which is the only thing that John Travolta has been doing uh, for the last three years. Which is German for the heart. <laughs> exactly. Other than caring for his uh, his late wife, Kelly Preston, R.I.P., yeah. let's all be very sad, uh, was starring uh, as a dude who mentors uh, Kevin Hart in the ways of being an action hero. Uh, so I'm excited about that. So we should definitely, definitely, definitely cover that. Oh, and then we're also going to do Whatever Happened to Superman Lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're probably going to do Whatever Happened to Superman Lives uh, this month slash next month, and then Die Hart uh, the month after that. So we've been staying at 57 patrons for the last three years, uh, we wouldn't mind getting one or two more within the next Jack couple that number of years. up a little exactly, bit. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Please. So patreon.com slash Travolta Cage. We, we, we really don't ask much. Uh, no, and I, and I think Wesley Snipes likes it because he's like, I am patron 57. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I always bet on black. Um, exactly. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to those. And uh, a fun fact about Quibi, I remember when we weren't sure whether it was going to flop, which we were sure it was going to flop. Succeed or succeed spectacularly. Indeed. Um, but I remember for launch, I did a very comprehensive breakdown of every Quibi show. So I, for a good afternoon, I sat there at my desk not <laughs> on, with my laptop open and my phone in front of my laptop with my headphones on to watch all of Quibi's content, the content at, at launch. And so I know the ones that are actually kind of good and have potential and the others that are terrible. And so I hope to go to the, to Roku TV or whatever. And, uh, and watch Murder House Flip, <laughs> which is the which is the house renovation show for murder houses, and it does have just enough of a sense of humor about itself that I think it's worth it. All that aside, uh, we should enough talk about Quibi. Indeed, indeed, uh, we should talk about these movies, and so I think we should probably start with uh, Captain Corelli's A Mandolin. Untouched by time. In a world divided by war. A stranger came into their lives. Sir, my orders are to billet an officer in your home. Bella Bambina, if you could tell me where I'm going to sleep. In my daughter's room. But where will your daughter sleep? It's none of your business where I sleep. Ah, he's the enemy. He's living in your house. 
The other night when you were dancing, I thought I could watch you forever. You think you can come here and turn my whole world upside down? You love him? When you fall in love, everything becomes possible. Nathan, since you're having such a process moment oh, for God. this, yes. would you like to regale us with the story sure. of well, Captain well, Corellian's Mandalorian? Well, as 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 loyal uh, Travolta Cage patrons uh, have undoubtedly forgotten uh, at this point, uh, this is not the first time that Nicolas Cage uh, has played a soldier in Mussolini's army uh, back in 1989 for reasons I cannot begin to understand. Uh, he starred in a legitimately Italian movie called A Time to Kill uh, as a horrible, 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 uh, you know, fascist soldier who sexually assaults an Ethiopian woman and then thinks he has leprosy. And a lot of the movie is him running around being like, I have leprosy, I'm a horrible person, I'm going to die a hideous death. And then he made an interesting choice, which was to not have an Italian accent. <laughs> or to do anything that would suggest that he was Italian or living in the world of 1936 and not like a dude from Los Angeles in 1989. <laughs> so a mere 12 years later, after Nicolas Cage had conquered the world, and I think discovered that he wants to be loved, uh, which is a horrible, horrible thing. By that Penelope Cruz. When people become very, very big stars. Uh, so he made another movie in which he plays an Italian uh, soldier. But this is, again, this is the complete antithesis of Time to Kill. Instead of having no Italian accent, he has a, an Italian accent that I would cr- describe as a cross between Mario, uh, the heroic plumber uh, from uh, video game fame, and Dracula, uh, the famous vampire. So he does. <laughs> So like this, and instead of being a rapist and and a monster and a dude with leprosy, he's the best guy in the world. He loves yeah. life, and he loves to play the mandolin, and he loves to sing, and he loves opera. He's full of passion, and he loves to make love. He yeah. does, and, and honestly, this this movie it takes place in Greece uh, in the 1940s, towards the so it is a Mamma Mia prequel. It very much is, and it's kind of like this idea of sort of this Greek island as being sort of like Brigadoon, where nothing ever touches it, and everybody who lives there is deliriously happy, and they have simple lives and simple loves, and nothing has changed in generations upon generations. Oh, mama mia, it's all very good. <laughs> uh, so Penelope Cruz is living there with her father, who's played by John Hurt, uh, with a very, very aggressive mustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the many comically thick accents and I couldn't really figure is is Penelope Cruz's character supposed to be Spanish or is she supposed to be Greek? Everyone thinks they're Greek in this movie. 
Um, <laughs> but everyone is approaching it from a different point of view where Penelope Cruz's accent is very much informed by her native Spanish accent. Yeah. John Hurt is a, is a British person's idea of, of a, of a Grecian accent. And Christian Bale is, uh, another, another English person's <laughs> idea of a Greek accent. Nicholas Cage is a Los Angelinos version of an Italian accent. And David Morrissey is doing a British person's idea of a German accent. <laughs> There's it's, it's accent bingo. And what's interesting about the movie is that it, it is about this intersection of cultures where there is this Greek island where everyone's living in peace. It's this ideal, mm. uh, but war is subtly and slowly encroaching. There is an Italian, and the Italians and the and the Germans are working together, obviously, because yeah. they're, they're together in the Axis powers. Boo! Uh, boo! And so the Italians, there's an Italian regiment uh, led by Nicolas Cage's Captain Antonio Corelli, <laughs> uh, where they do spend more time like singing and, and enjoying wine and partying, women and song partying. and partying. Uh, but they also have a, like German overseers, one of whom is played mm. by David Morrison. And there are several scenes where, because um, everyone is just speaking English with different accents, but they pretend that they're speaking their native languages. Where there are moments <laughs> in the in the film where it seems like, what did he say? And then someone repeats what he said back to him in a different accent, as if that's a different language. And so there, this is one of those movies. I re- I went back and read Roger Ebert's review of this, and he was like, this would have worked a little bit better if if this was in subtitles and everyone was speaking actually different languages. Because there oh, are cultural totally, yeah. differences between the Italians and the Greeks, too, that play into this, that get lost in the indecipherable accents. Oh, very much so. So, yeah, so what happens is, you know, sort of the war intrudes on this paradise in the form of, you know, these Italian soldiers. And, again, there are so many, like, sort of bizarre uh, fantasy elements of this, one of which is that fascists could come to your idyllic village and you could be like, no, thank you, fuck you. I would rather not uh, be occupied by the Italians. Y'all can go screw yourself. And the Italians, the nicest fascist troops in the history of the world, were like, I'm sorry you don't feel that way. We just want to hang out. We want to drink <laughs> wine. Maybe I can play my mandolin for you, yeah. and we can Bring take it the, the women. It's, and it's it's amazing because it really is this sort of idea that you could just say no to fascists, and the fascists be like. That's cool. We don't want to do war anyway. We don't we just want to have. Buzz. We want to have fun. We want to enjoy ourselves. And it really feels like sort of tourism porn. Uh, and you sort of described it as being a prequel to Mamma Mia. Uh, yeah. And the, and it also feels like a sixty million dollar Olive Garden commercial. A little bit. I mean, when I when I was watching it, I felt like family. Yeah, well, and you and you have this, uh, I would say, a, a war between different uh, broad stereotypes. Uh, in, in the Greeks, where Greek to the nth degree, and then Italians. And again, I think this is a movie that maintains a Roberto Benigni at the Academy Awards level of Italian cartoonishness for yeah. two hours and nine minutes, uh, which is really, really something, really, really impressive there. So Captain Corelli, he comes to uh, the thing, and he instantly falls in love with Cephalonia. Exactly, because she's a so beautiful. Uh, but unfortunately, she has a, a partner, and this is I, her partner is played by Christian Bale. And Christian Bale is can be a really great actor. He can be an icon. I mean, it's crazy to think that he was like doing American Psycho uh, yeah. around. The, it's crazy to think that American Psycho and Vampire's Kiss uh, are both in this 
unbelievably cheesy, unbelievably sentimental, yeah. unbelievably corny motion. Like two of the that's the cinematic universe I want to see. Oh, and and one of the, one of like the six uh, items of trivia on Captain Crowley's mandolin was that Christian Bale was a very big fan of Nicolas Cage's performance. No, uh, and Rambo's guess. And, and, and in related development, he stole it for the movie American Psycho, which, again, when I watched Vampire's Kiss, I'm like, wow, this is American Psycho, only way better. So, again, Christian Bale has so many qualities that he brings to films, that he brings to life, that he exudes effortlessly. Uh, strength, intelligence, formidable will. Here he is an illiterate Greek farm boy uh, <laughs> with a zany sense of humor who's very dumb and very misguided and it's one of those things where it's one of those performances and one of those roles where it's like you fire your agent mm-hmm. uh because this does not take advantage of anything that makes you special as a performer and this casts you in the least uh, like again i'm just i'm i'm, I'm bewildered and, and kind of looking at this I, I don't know if you have this but i have that mirror max ick uh <laughs> you know where i'll see the mirror max logo at the very beginning and i'll just be reminded that like so yeah. much of like the last 40 years years of American prestige cinema, definitely Oscar bait, mm-hmm. was dictated by the banal middlebrow taste of a deranged sex criminal. Yeah. And I mean, this is movie this movie's directed by John Madden, who was mm. previously known for Shakespeare in Love. Well, and that's the thing too, is that what happened was, you know, they had a they had an option on John Madden's next two movies. So they figured that they would, you know, slip their way in here uh, and make again what they obviously thought was an Oscar movie. You know, yeah. this is gonna get huge, it's gonna get like a like a cinematography thing. This is about love uh, and the the triumph mm. of the human spirit and because this is shot uh, by John Tull, who we've talked about before for Thin Red Line right? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's crazy to think that, uh, you know, if it was easier to get in touch with, Nicolas Cage could have been in a thin red line. Uh, But instead, this was the World War II movie that he did about, you know, uh, the horrors and the ugliness of war intruding on the beauty and the perfection of of nature. Uh, Because, yeah, it's a very, very cheesy a very silly movie and it's so weirdly idyllic and romantic that it feels like this is going to be a movie for world war ii in which nothing bad ever happens yeah you know which people just have a good time and they have a lot of fun and eventually the war is over and it's so weirdly weirdly uh almost disney-like mm-hmm. uh and it's depiction of life in in greece apart from the miramax required tasteful nudity oh the tasteful nudity for sure for yeah. sure that when people start getting murdered like when world war ii starts raising its head it feels weirdly out of place it almost reminded me a little bit of you know we sort of talked about uh, our friend martin uh there's yeah. the last patreon only episode and you know the the incongruity of that being this very cheesy very silly uh g-rated take on martin luther king's legacy and then there are people getting beaten by the police. Uh, and it's like, this shouldn't exist in the same world. And it's out of, it's incredibly jarring in the third act when people start to die. Uh, and, and also did like the, the, the idea that you could be an Italian soldier and be like, I hate fascism. I hate the Nazis. I'm not going to do anything bad. And, and everybody's going to be cool with that, you know? And, the, and, and again, like everything would be cool in this movie if it wasn't for the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're also 
the one Nazi character we really get to know is portrayed yeah. in a strangely sympathetic light where he's also, he like cage is trapped in this system of fascism. where like, they don't really want to do the crimes, but they're just following no, orders. No, not, not, and, and all that, but he was like, he, he's like a nerd. He's like the nerdy yeah. German. And, and again, that's the other, you know, the, the, the sort of fantasy that in world war two, people could invade you. You'd be like, fuck you. I very much resent you invading me. And you're like, point well taken. I apologize. Uh, I know I shouldn't be here. You know, we'll just we'll try and be as inconspicuous as humanly possible. Yeah. But at the same time, because um, the the whole movie centers around that love triangle between Penelope Cruz, who's engaged yeah, to that's, Christian that's, Bale, that's, that's putting it very nicely. Because again, I feel like there's there's no there's no pull from Christian Bale, who again he disappears be, for a good chunk of the movie because he joins the Greek partisans to fight back. But he just like disappears yes. until he comes back in the third act with a beard. <laughs> yeah that's how, that's how he shows his moral growth uh is yeah. through his and he looks more and more like Che Guevara yeah yeah but I mean and you know it sucks because I mean like outside of the A-list American cast there are mm. a few performances that I think are, are slightly notable like Irene Pappas is like yeah. the mother I believe and she's like this this long-standing Greek actress and I think she she gets a few fun moments but otherwise yeah it's very like sumptuously filmed treacle yeah but it's middle ground nonsense and it has it 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 has no pain you know it has no ache yeah. it has nothing feels real about it it feels like it's sort of this romance novel mm-hmm. uh and it is based yeah. on a novel although as i understand it the novel is a lot more hard-hitting about the experiences hmm. and the horrors of war than this which like very much apparently dulls a lot of that stuff in favor of romantic sentiment well, usually when you see a war movie, its attitude is generally war is hell, whereas this is a war movie and its attitude is war is actually pretty nice. It's pretty great. The weather is good. The food's good. You can drink. You, you can, can see uh, the sights. You can see the world. Uh, seriously, it, it, it felt like, you know, it's a it's a, it's a tourist fantasy uh, for an hour and a half. And then in the last 40 minutes or so, it's like, but actually war is hell and people die and they get machine guns. Uh, and the Nazis are trying to destroy democracy. And yeah, again, it just, it, it's a very weird, I think also, I think this is a more romantic uh, and far-fetched uh, depiction of love than City of Angels, yeah. uh, which Nicolas Cage played an actual angel. Like that yeah. was a more down to earth, a more restrained, a more subtle and understated uh, romantic movie uh, than Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Right. And it, you mentioned this earlier, too, but it can't seem to find a tone where um, it does have a lot of it's bookended by this really bizarre like folk story thing about like John Hurt's doctor taking this pee out of this villager's ear. Where he's like, <laughs> I thought I was a deaf, but it turns out I can hear, I can hear my wife now. But then at the end of the movie, even after everything is done and like Captain Corelli has been left for dead and nursed back to health and like the war <laughs> is hell, they still come back to this thing where like the guy comes up to John Hurt and says, I'm sorry, can you put this a pee back in my ear? I couldn't hear my shrewish bitch wife nagging at me all the time. Could you put it in these like it's it's shrugged off as this like cutesy little bit of local flavor and I'm like what is going on? <laughs> well, it's just like if you want to believe that this is about human beings in our world and not some sort of crazed fantasy. Well, yeah, with the mother, the the wife's response to my husband can hear for the first mm-hmm. time in his life is like you were lazy, good for nothing, and now you are yeah. not able to say you can't take out of the trash. 
<sighs> you can smell the patchouli in the air as you watch <laughs> as you watch this movie. Yeah, it's 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 all this like sort of cobblestoned Grecian stereotype. Yeah, it's just it's it's so tough to it's so weird to watch because again, like it's filmed very sumptuously. There are individual yeah, yeah, like. Yeah. Well, the, the scenery is beautiful, you know, yeah. like it's gorgeous. I want to go to Greece. It's easy to look at. It's easy on the eyes, but it's also yeah. like two and a half hours long and you're just watching two people with no chem. Like Nick Cage and Penelope Cruz don't have any chemistry in this, mostly because they're fighting the accents. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's, and that's, and they're usually, you know, Nicolas Cage brings so many qualities to everything he does. One of which is that he has very good chemistry with his leading ladies. And yeah, that's just not the case here. Where it's like, who wouldn't be in love with Penelope Cruz? But there's just not much of a character there. Yeah, they sort of frame her as like, she's, she, you know, she's smarter. She's because she's the, the doctor's daughter and she's learning. Mm. She's learning how to do medicine and she's literate and she's, you know, strong, this very sort of strong female lead in the sort of stereotypical sense. But like, yeah, you, you don't really get a lot of that. She mostly just has to sort of sit by and be romanced by Nick Cage. Um, well, and, and I feel like this is a movie that is sort of shoved joy and wonder uh, and romance and life's incredible gift down your throat and it doesn't trust the audience to make up their own minds about something the, the score is incredibly impressive mm-hmm. I do feel like this is a movie that is like you have to love these characters and you have to love this world and look he's playing his and I was like no please stop with all this forced whimsy yeah. uh, and all this forced romance and all of this yeah it just I the movie's going on a charm offensive but it just ends up offensive yeah well and and and, and nicholas cage can be incredibly romantic but this is cartoonish uh and it's romanticism you know this is like a child's conception of what romance is this is like like i said before it's like an olive garden commercial where mm-hmm. it's like three and a half minutes uh like you know but yeah it just it's it's a oppressively uh oppressively full of joy and wonder and life Right. And I mean, going back to Cage as the center of all this and the center mm-hmm. of our experiment, this is one of the first movies in our watch through where I felt like I feel like Nick Cage is too old for this role. Yeah, like yeah. Captain Corelli feels like a much younger person with this with this incredible joie de vivre. And he hasn't been disillusioned by the vagaries of life, even in the military, because he's this, he's this military captain <laughs> in this Italian regiment. But they spend most of their time just learning how to sing and doing. the line <laughs> and, song. and so like this is sort of about a loss of innocence for him. But I'm like, aren't you pushing 40, Nick Cage? Like at this point, you know putting Christian Bale, like young, hunky, swole Christian Bale before he lost all that weight for the machinist and then got it back for Batman is very weird to think about. Cause I'm like, it's not like Nick Cage is this incredible hottie, you know, Um, at this point where he's, he is starting the hairline starting to recede, you know, he's starting to get a little, like a little more fuller in the face. Some wrinkles are starting to show not to be ageist or anything, but it's also (laughs) just like Nick Cage in his forties is not, Christian Bale swole in his 20s. You know what I mean? Well, I feel like this is kind of the equivalent of Zandali. Uh, sort of gave us <laughs> the grossest, the least convincing version of sexy Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Uh, and this gives us the sort of least convincing, most cliched, most pandering version of Nicolas Cage. A true romantic. Uh, mm. And yeah, there's, there's a world of difference between Wild at Heart, you know, where just the yeah. chemistry is explosive and they're on fire and these people have to be with each other and have to be fucking 
thing. Uh, and then this, where it's just like you're two beautiful people who've been miscast in this right. clumsy, clunky, overwrought beat. And then again, I feel like it kind of epitomizes something about Miramax. Uh, and that these were the stories that he wanted to tell that were very sentimental and and, and super commercial uh, and devoid of grit and you know, sort of perversely pandering, you know, to sort of yeah. the, the tastes of the broadest uh, possible audience. I do think the major thing with this, apart from the accent, of course, is that most Nicolas Cage characters that work um, have this element of danger to them. There's this sort of like there is that kind of bad boy aesthetic where something could go wrong. And I feel like they try to do that. But like the form of danger he represents is so ungodly, sickeningly wholesome, where like the what sets him apart is that he breaks the social norms by being even more ebullient than <laughs> even the, the happy Greeks that they occupy, you know? Yeah, well, it's, it's like a joy off, you know? It's yeah. like, we love life. No, we love life. And then mm. the Nazis show up and ruin everything. And, but but it's, it's not like in, and it seems weird to even mention these, you know, but they were made a couple of years apart. Uh, but it's not like a thin red line where you have 40 minutes of kind of uh, setting the mood and peace and tranquility. And then it's just violently disrupted by the horrors of war. Like when war enters the frame, it feels weirdly out of place. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, I thought this was the war movie without any war. I'm disappointed. And also John Madden doesn't seem to have any real interest in those films or in, the, in those scenes. You know, like the war stuff in here, the the action, like it's all pretty forgettable. You know, it's yeah. all pretty boilerplate. It always feels like. There's this big action sequence where like war rages in the town and destroys the town. And it's sort of like incomprehensible. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I but I expect that from someone who has um, such a background in football commentary and um, <laughs> <laughs> and hardware store, uh, hardware store endorsements. That's the same guy, right? That, that he was able to ride a bus to Greece, I thought was yeah. very, very impressive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know that Ace is the place for all your hardware needs, but um, yeah. I don't know if he's the right person to direct Captain Crowley's mandolin. But yeah, this is a movie that has lines like, love is not breathlessness, it is not excitement, it is not the desire to mate every second of the day. Love itself is what is left over when being in love has burned away. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. And like John Hurt is trying his damnedest to make this shit work. And there is this sort of like that quintessential John Hurt elegance that and sophistication that he brings to it. It's just too bad about that accent. Yeah, 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 for sure. Hey. Captain Corelli's mandolin is uh, it's quite the picture. It's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those movies you would watch in like history class. Um, when the teacher doesn't want to teach that day. <laughs> yeah. Funny story, none of this is historically accurate. But no, not it's at two all. hours long and I'm really, really hungover. <laughs> it's got a good message. Don't kill people, don't be a Nazi. And, and fuck, fuck a lot. Yeah. Fuck a lot of women. What's that from? It's like, oh, it's Little Miss Sunshine. It's like, oh, what's your, what's your advice? Fuck a lot of women. Fuck a lot of women before you die. Um, so yeah, so from that sort of forced bit of sickly sweet joy, let's move on to something like a little more surprisingly earnest in its entertainment value. I mean, for as dark a comedy, it is, it's a lot more successful, uh, lucky numbers. Let's check in with the weather center. Russ, am I the only one who misses our old pal, Jack Frost? Temperatures, a local. (laughs) He said to me that I delivered the weather forecast Mm -hmm. with a Shakespearean flair. Was he drunk? Weatherman Russ Richards owes his success to his winning personality. We love your show! Thank you. All right, you have a good day. 
his snowmobile dealership. I'm Rockefeller. I'm on Broadway. I'm doing a cha-cha-cha. And his own table at Denny's. You're Russ Richards, aren't you? Here. Oh, let me guess. Mm, it's a resume of some sort. Just read it. Everything else. I need money. I need it fast. I told you last time, no more loans. He owes to the bank. I'm not selling the Jag. I'd sell my body parts to South America before I'd sell that Jag. But all that is about to change. Okay, Russ. It's going to be a better day. Sometimes in life, the greatest opportunities are sitting right under your nose. Eight! You think that my playing the lottery is going to solve all my problems? Oh, playing the lottery. Winning the lottery. Oh, I'm a big brother. I'm probably the biggest brother of all. Let me bask in that for a while before I start thinking about tampering with a sand lottery. This October, I have to ask you something. I wouldn't blame you if you said no. We're going to be millionaires. Yes. I can't believe this. I have to admit, I thought it'd be a slightly harder sell. You need someone to buy the ticket and claim the winnings. My cousin Walter could do it. He's this totally straight guy. Ah, rise! Paramount Pictures and Studio Canal present... Short and sweet. I want half the money. Oh, jeez. John Travolta. This is killing me. I've gained two pounds. Lisa Goodrow. I want his head cut off. Now that's just your anger talking. The paramedic said that there was nothing anyone could have done. I can't believe it. I'm in shock. You know what his last words were? You and Russ deserve to have that money. <gasps> All right, key lime pie. Lucky numbers. Oh, it's so sad. It's just so sad. Want to have sex? Oh, yeah. Sweet dreams are made of the sure, would you like to talk to us about this motion picture? I would. So uh, Lucky Numbers is directed by rom-com queen extraordinaire Nora Ephron from a script by Adam Resnick, who I know is with screenwriter of Cabin Boy, right? And he, wore, he yeah, yeah, frequently yeah, collaborated yeah. with like Chris Elliott. Well, he's the, he's the creator of uh, Get a Life. Yes. And it has that sort of similar anarchic satirical sense. And death this movie. Right, exactly. And so this follows a, uh, a, a sort of small town weatherman played with incredible brio by John Travolta <laughs> and incredible turtlenecks and, and sort of uh, Easter egg color blazers who, uh, yeah, who also runs a snowmobile dealership in his off hours uh, that is going under. And he's facing a whole host of money troubles. And he learns from, I forget how they're connected, but um, like Tim Roth's character, who just runs the strip club in town, but also has this incredible connection with him. And he comes up with a scheme to stage a fake robbery to get the insurance money. That goes awry. But then they end up getting into even hotter water with a plan to rig the state lottery, which they announce on, on their news program. And they get the lotto girl played by Lisa Kudrow, who he's also sleeping with. He's having an affair with her. <laughs> um, this is not an independent thing. Like and she's also shoulder. sleeping with Al Bundy. Indeed. Sleeping with Al Bundy. A, a huge cast in this. They, they concoct this scheme with, I believe, her brother? Is that it? Her, her cousin. Her cousin, her her cousin her, played, her, <laughs> played by Michael Moore. It would be even more disturbing if her brother was staring at her tits the entire That's time. That's perhaps uh, true. Together. Um, yeah, no, her cousin played by Michael Moore <laughs> in a surprisingly funny role um, to, to rig the state lottery so that he wins it and gives them the money and basically 
hijinks ensue. It's like a Coen Brothers movie if uh, if everyone in Fargo was as stupid as William H Macy, um, and it's and it's a delight. I, I I saw this. I remember seeing this in theaters when I was a kid, and maybe not paying too much attention to it because I feel like, remember I remember thinking it was fine, mm. but uh, revisiting it now it's really funny. Like the jokes land and everyone has this incredible comic energy. And uh, yeah, I had a blast watching this. Yeah. I mean, I really, I wrote about this. I think I reviewed it uh, when it came out and like everybody else in the world, I gave it a very negative review and I yeah. thought it was very mean spirited and that Nora Ephron, you know, this wasn't the right kind of material for her, that it kind of that the dark comedy of the script was, you know, not well served by her direction. Uh, I freaking enjoyed the holy living crap out of the movie. This <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think part of it is just like, I've come to, really really love Adam Resnick I really like Death to Smoochie uh, which is his very very similar to he wrote a book uh, of essays in 2014 it's like will not attend uh, and it was really really funny and it has almost nothing to do with his professional career you just get the sense of like he's just a crank and he just kind of fucking hates people and this is a beautiful expression of his hatred of people and it captures the milieu so so well this took place in 19 I think 1987 mm-hmm. uh, in small town uh, Pennsylvania and they have so much fun uh, with that uh, for example you know he's sort of talking about his charmed life uh, and that includes uh, his own booth at the hottest bistro in town, which <laughs> in is a Denny's, the Denny's, where his waitress is a young Maria Bamford. Yeah. And there's, this is such an amazingly stacked cast. I mean, Richard Schiff, uh, the great character, has one scene uh, yeah. as Jerry the bookie, and he's so good and just realizes his character so indelibly. You don't so expect him to be time. menacing, but he is. No, 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 but he's so, again, he just knows this and, and Michael Rappaport is wonderfully, wonderfully typecast as uh, as, as an idiot. <laughs> the thug. Uh, but no, and I, again, I just love that his nickname is Dale the Thug. And of all the criminals, of all the idiots, of all like the people who are just defined by their little criminality, he is so defined by it that his literal name is just the thug. Uh, the, the guy who uh, helps uh, John Travolta run the snowmobile. Uh, again, it just is sort of his sidekick. He has so many weird things going on, one of which is that he has a weirdly asexual vibe, but he is intensely sexual. Yeah. So he's like screwing his, his girlfriend at the snowmobile dealership. Like that's one of the problems that they have. He describes mm-hmm. snowmobiles in incredibly weirdly erotic ways. Uh, he has this great uh, dynamic with John Travolta, where John Travolta doesn't pretend that he he doesn't ignore everything that he says. <laughs> be like, do you remember when I told you blah, blah, blah? And he's like, if you did, I forgot about it instantly. But he's so, he has that Travolta charm and that Travolta smile. And then he's also constantly referencing a play about evil Knievel that he wrote when he was in the eighth grade. Uh, and again, it's just, just overflowing with stuff like that. Tim Roth is a really, really good. It, it's neat to see, you know, that kind of Pulp Fiction uh, sort of team up. But Lisa Kudrow is absolutely fearless oh, she's great. Uh, in, in this role. And then we haven't talked at all about maybe my favorite performance in this, uh, which is Bill Pullman. Uh, comes in in the third act, and I love the way that he's introduced. <laughs> he's introduced with his boss, played by Sam McMurray, another great character actor who's in tons of things, uh, showing him a video <laughs> of him chopping wood. And he's like, so you've been, you know, 
out of disability for the last, <laughs> because of your broken back. And he's like, so Bill Moment, sort of as in Ruthless People, his defining characteristic is that he's the stupidest person in the world, <laughs> but he's also incredibly lazy. So his modus operandi is to do as little work as humanly possible. As well, it is like, let's just acknowledge that a crime uh, happened and then we can, you know, take a nap. Uh, and right. Daryl Mitchell from, from Galaxy Quest, they have this really, really, really funny dynamic where he's his partner. Uh, and he, he continually has to remind him that their job as police officers is not merely to note that crime occurs, it's to also solve those crimes. Uh, also, Ed O'Neill, uh, sort of as the very pragmatic uh, station manager who Lisa Critter is always so sleeping with. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing cast and everybody has something funny to do and everybody has a good dynamic. And and I don't think you know, this uh, is insulting Travolta too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you say that playing a smurmy small town weatherman is a role that he was born to play? Because he yeah. has this this kind of phoniness and this superficial charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this makes wonderful, wonderful, uh, very mean use of it. He also freaks out really well. Like, I think yeah. the, the fact that the, the the more the script turns the screws on him, um, he 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 reacts in wonderfully grisly um, with, at the same with Elan, I suppose, because he still has to charm even through that. You know, there's a scene where Dale the thug is shaking him down at his own house and he takes a quick aside to uh, to wash his mouth. Is, is this mint Listerine? And Travolta is just like terrified. He's like, yes, it's good. Yes, it, you know, it's, <laughs> new. it's good. Yes, of course. Yeah, he's he's beautifully frustrated and flustered. It's interesting because we just came off of Battlefield Earth where it does feel like he's putting on a comedy performance there, yeah. but mm-hmm. there is uh, there is sort of an almost like a tonal weirdness to it. Whereas here he is like, he just has to lean into the patheticness mm-hmm. of his character so well. And yeah. And I, again, the specificity of the gags, I think is the, the verbal specificity, like the, uh, the idea that like after Lisa Kudrow, like stages a fake car accident by slowly easing her car into a dealership. And then people are asking her if she's okay. And she's like, I'm fine now. I had a three musketeers. Just little bits like that just really give this great cast a lot of stuff to work oh, with. Oh, totally. Well, there's there's so much uh, comedy that's built on the characters and sort of based on the characters. And one of the things that I love about uh, John Travolta is that he's a weatherman, but his dream in life is to be a game show host. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of like Arthur Fleck or, or Rupert Pupkin, uh, you know, with, with better social skills, if I might set the, the bar very low. And there are all these like great scenes of him like watching old interviews of like Gene Rayburn uh, being interviewed on television and he's looking at him as like he's a guru uh, who has yeah. special wisdom that if I really pay attention to what all of these game show hosts say uh, then I can be part of that you know that I'm, I'm a big fish in this very small pond but like my dream in life is to be you know the the host of, <laughs> of a third rate game show that gets cancelled after a month right. and that, that, that and again that that's his entire personality, you know, that it, and that there's something very poignant about that, about, you know, that the, 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 that they want so little, uh, and yet they're so hopelessly bad at getting what they want. Yeah. And in over their head and like mm-hmm. he gets in over his head really, really quickly and easily. And he spends the latter half of the movie just kind of twisting in the wind where he does. He really does feel like William H. Macy and Fargo. And then he really wants something. He's, he decides to flirt with criminality. And then there's this strange relationship between like his own his own inflated status as a public figure 
and how it'll affect how any potential criminality will affect that. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff for him to work with. And again, like just the fashion choices. I like that he's leaning into his age a little bit more here mm. where he feels like a middle aged over the hill you know, public figure, like public speaker, presentational, smarmy game show host kind well, of guy. It's one, it's one of those things where the fact that his hair looks distractingly weird, that uh, yeah. he had just beautiful, beautiful hair when he was oh, sort of like Nicolas Cage as well. Yeah. And then there got to be a point where it was sort of like, why is that like a upside down catcher's mitt made out of Grillo? Like, is that Jerry Curl? Um, yeah. Oh, totally. Weird. But yeah, and then there's just, there's just a, a mean spiritedness to this that I really, really liked. And it reminded me of two of my sort of favorite uh, neo noirs from like the last 20 or 30 years, one of which is Fargo. as a combination of very dark comedy and neo noir and kind of detective stuff. Uh, and then also The Ice Harvest, uh, the Harold Ramis movie. Um, I really, really, really dig. It's sort of a similar thing about sort of a fundamentally pretty good person uh, getting in over his head and then just the bodies piling up and, you know, sort of an opportunity to get out of it with your life or with your just seems to get smaller and smaller uh, with each Mm -hmm. passing disaster. (laughs) And I think that's where Efron's direction comes in and like makes it even funnier by sort of providing this dissonance between the abject darkness of what's happening on screen with that quintessential Nora Efron lightness. Mm -hmm. Um, It does feel like it feels like a wackier comedy than it is. And Mm -hmm. I think the fact that it's filmed like a normal ass studio comedy, but has all of this darkness lying underneath it with the script and the performances makes the makes those moments sing even more. Well, and it's interesting to kind of look back on this. And this was a huge, huge flop. And that's not at all surprising because it's a very dark movie. It's about characters who are not likable. And I think people have this idea if I laugh at a movie about bad people then that makes me a bad person as well right uh and not a matter of well, you and know, how long ago, how long after battlefield earth does, did this come out too maybe that sort of ripple effect had happened oh yeah probably probably about a year or so you know and again i think this was the one two punch you know of that being a terrible terrible movie and then this costing 60 million dollars and making nothing and i think about the dominant uh, iconography of this the poster was just literally john travolta and lisa Goudreau wearing sunglasses yeah, that's right. Like, what is this about? <laughs> just like they're cool or like they're up to something. But yeah. really all you're just saying is here are two super famous people who are the stars of this movie. And we have no idea how to package it. We don't know what kind of a movie it is. We don't know how to sell it. The tone is really weird. The tone is really dark. Again, you kind of look back at uh, Adam Resnick's career. Uh, and it's amazing that these movies got made in the first place. And obviously this got made because some very, very talented people wanted it to happen uh not because it had a snowball's chance in hell of ever turning a profit <laughs> uh for the record battlefield earth came out in may of 2000 this came out in october Ooh, so this is like uh, a five month difference <laughs> so i feel like i'm sure that i'm sure that had a little bit of an and effect. i'm thinking he's, he's getting paid like 10 million dollars a year uh, at this mm-hmm. point this is very much like a list uh and again he's very very funny and very good and he really commits and again i feel like there's you can kind of draw a line between like his personality and this and like the real john travolta in his christmas music videos with (laughs) olivia newton john where he seems to be like every bit as much a goofball uh every Bit as much, you know, sort of, sort of an agreeable each. And, and that's the other thing too is that you know these are not terribly sympathetic characters, but Travolta's likableness, uh, I think, makes it palatable. You're not like this is so toxic and so bracing that I hate everybody. 
And again, it's so delightful to watch him squirm. There's a scene where he's supposed to be like on the air reading the weather, but like right before the weather report, I think there's, I forget what it was specifically the-, the I think they says. find out that Jerry the bookie is dead. That's right. Okay. And, and so- and, 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 It was a specifically, and it's great too, like the, the dialogue was like, it was specifically weird and, and wrong yeah. seeming <laughs> uh, thing. And then yeah, you get to the shot of, of John Travolta like with this look of animal desperation. Yeah. Of like, oh my God, like looking like his brain is about to break. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that like his skull is about to blow apart because he has no idea what he's and doing. And eventually he tries to affect uh, a presentational smile, but it just looks like this sort of animalistic sneer. And uh, yeah, just he, it's a brilliant command of physical comedy. And uh, and even just the, uh, the verve by which he delivers lines, like there's enough mist in this thing to save 10 masturbators. Um, it's just great. I, I had a dull, it was a delight to watch him in this. Yeah. And I gotta say it's really fucking weird uh, watching Michael Moore uh, in an acting role. And not only as an acting role, but as a pathetic weirdo who you're supposed yeah. to, and again, these are the things that he does. He shows up, he express talks a lot about masturbation. He stares at Lucy Codro's uh, cleavage. Uh, and then he has a, very long, very extended fatal asthma attack on screen. Yeah. And but not before hiding the winning lottery ticket in a sex doll in the bathroom. Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a weird like wholesomeness to even those kinds of raunchy, raunchy jokes where it doesn't feel dirty. Like I don't know what it is. It's it, it just feels like you're you're living in this world, you know, occupied by terrible people. Yeah. Um, yeah it yeah, has yeah. this sort of wax sheen over it. And like you said, Bill Pullman is great in this. I love that there's an extended scene where they're interviewing someone at the strip club and he can't concentrate because he's focused on <laughs> the strippers and Tim Roth tells him oh we picked these, these two girls up from upstate New York and he's like yeah they seem like Albany girls <laughs> I love it uh, it's just a genuinely clever script with a lot of really great little gags um, and the fact that they all compound on each other. And yeah, it's, it's a shame that, yeah, because uh, Resnick, I guess, before he did uh, Get a Life, he was a Letterman guy. Like, that's kind of where he uh, joined up with Chris Elliott. And then he was Larry Sanders guy as well. But it's been 19 years <laughs> since one of his screenplays was turned into a movie. And said they're all huge flops. Uh, but I'm guessing he has, like, 25, like, incredibly dark screenplays somewhere that nobody will make because they don't stand as no balls jets in hell uh, of making money but boy oh boy are they funny and yeah this is I think one of the uh, most pleasant surprises uh, of this whole uh, journey because yeah I, I I half remembered this being really mean and not funny uh, and I was delighted to find out that it's very mean and very funny yeah, yeah, same here. I was not expecting to like this as much as I did. And so maybe maybe that's part of it too. Maybe the lowered expectations made the mm-hmm. hits even hit, like hit even higher, but like yeah, it was just it's a delight. Like it's it's available to rent wherever you want to rent it. Like, you know, yeah, it's too bad that this is the movie that you have to pay money for cuz Captain Crowley's Mandolin's on Hulu. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw I'd that. I saw pay that. Money for, yeah. It was funny. I was uh, tweeted something about this on Twitter. <laughs> that is the best place to yeah. tweet things. Uh right. and somebody said like, "Oh, there was a uh that was filmed in my hometown. Uh, and there was a mural from it uh, at the Texas Roadhouse. And I'm like, I, I didn't know what Texas Roadhouse was. And then I saw it, and it was the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen, where it's a terrible, terrible, terrible painting of John Travolta, uh, <laughs> whose hair somehow looks even worse and even faker than it does in the movie, where it looks uh-huh. very weird and very fake. And then I guess he's supposed to be in a car with... Lisa Kudrow, except that it looks exactly like Kelly Preston. 
like 100%. Like, and it won't just matter if, like, you know, I don't know, John Trouble was there. But like, oh, he won't be upset if I make him look exactly like his beloved wife. Uh, but I kind of want to go a, pel- uh, a pilgrimage uh, to this uh, restaurant so that yeah. I can see the lucky numbers-themed mural for myself. You know? Indeed. And so patrons, if you want to send us money for that, <laughs> yeah. uh, if, you, if we get enough money in the Patreon, we'll both go to that Oh, mural. yeah. Well, it's kind of like, I was, for a while I was thinking of, uh, it would be cool to go to <laughs> cool in quotation marks uh yeah. canada to eat at garfield eats yeah which is the notorious garfield themed pizza chain uh and a very tragic uh, turn of events that's no longer exists oh, now no. you would literally have to go to dubai to eat at the garfield eats in <laughs> dubai but did they have lasagna there yes yes they okay do. good and if, and if you want if you want to get pizza in the shape of garfield's head boy oh boy do they have you covered Oh, good, good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, until you can until you can go to Dubai to uh, to check out the Garfield Eats, um, you should totally watch Lucky Numbers. Give that another look because I, yep. I was very pleasantly surprised. It's, it's a funny, funny question picture. Indeed. Um, so yeah, I think that brings us to Cage Match where we imagine ourselves uh, picking one of these two movies and I feel like the choice is pretty clear. Uh, on Travolta's side, Travolta's had a bit of a hot streak. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Last few episodes, which is very interesting. I wonder if just like Nick Cage is in a temporary... Well, not temporary, but maybe he started his flop era a little earlier than Travolta. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Nathan, let's let's make it official. Which movie's better? Lucky Numbers. <laughs> it's a very funny <laughs> movie that I very much enjoyed, whereas Captain Morelli's Mandolin. I mean, I kind of enjoyed the scenery, and I enjoyed laughing at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then people started dying, and I'm like, this has no place in a war movie. Yeah, I don't want to watch David Morrissey like in tears trying to figure out whether or not he should shoot a nearly dead Nick Cage um, <laughs> who has been saved from a firing squad by his like buddy hugging him. It seems to be literally shot 75 times, but because his friend threw him in front of him, oh my goodness, you're just fine. Yeah, he was, a, he was <sighs> enough of a bullet sponge to, to bring him back and to life. And then he becomes a popular recording artist. Right. Because this was- wouldn't have a happy enough ending uh, if he wasn't, you know, putting on wax. Well, he became an even better mandolin player because in the process of repairing his body, they had to use the mandolin strings to repair his ribs. And so he became fused with the, he became one with the mandolin and therefore understood his instrument better. Although I was thinking it would be interesting if, if Captain uh, Curly's mandolin was a crude double entendre. Yeah, it's like, I hey, know. I got a big mandolin, you can stroke it and stroke it, oh. <laughs> I don't even, I, I feel like that accent's even more inaccurate <laughs> you're saying Andrew Dice Clay was not a not a not, a, not a, an authentic hey, Italian accent yeah He's, he was no, not Sandra and Andrew and John Travolta, actually. So, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was well, John Travolta and, uh, and the Fonz. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, all right. Well, yeah, I would, t- I too would pick Lucky Numbers. It's definitely like a, a very pleasant surprise. It's a, it's a, it's an un- unappreciated gem. And I hope that given the, the evolution of comic sensibilities, there are a few, there are a few jokes that wouldn't hold up today for sure. Some, some certain slurs are, 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 are levied and, uh, and a prison rape joke, albeit well delivered, is still a prison rape joke. But you know, apart from that, it's really like strangely enough, those are few and far between. And the co- the comedy is so focused on how odious these individual characters are that it never feels like it's punching down. Well, I watched I watched Run Running Run uh, within a couple of days of that, and mm-hmm. boy, that's a motion picture that came out around the same time, also from very talented people. And yeah. A certain word that starts with F is uttered multiple times, and about half of the jokes are 
gay panic. Uh, so yeah, by by the standards of of, of two thousand, this is practically woke. Yes, it's it's a very wholesome comedy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, congratulations, lucky numbers for winning this round, and and deservedly so. I I genuinely, this is one of those things where it's like it's more than just like oh, this is surprisingly good. This is like so good that I do actually kind of want to become an acolyte for it. Like I really yeah, do yeah, think yeah, that sure. it holds up in a way that people should rediscover. And like because again, I think the the battlefield earth stigma really really hurt it, and just people were willing to write it off but yeah I, I think if you look at it now it'll hold up yeah and i think it's definitely one of uh, i think it's one of Nora Ephron's least loved films but i think it's definitely one of her best and certainly one of her funniest and certainly one of her darkest if not her darkest film right and i think it's a really good match of uh, a screenwriter and director um mostly because of the incongruity of the material works in its favor yeah way way better than michael where again <laughs> yeah. Rolta's performance was really fun but my god she never found a tone never found you know also, there are there are jokes in this, and that's yes. great. <laughs> Lots right, of I was I was like that. I like a comedy that has jokes in it. That's always mm-hmm. a good good sign. Um, so that wraps up this episode of F and Birds Presents Travolta Cage. Thank you so much for listening, Nathan. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Nathan Rabin. Uh, we're also at Travolta Cage on Twitter. I try and tweet funny things, uh, and then also you can find me on Kickstarter, uh, where I believe my uh, Goodness, it might be the last day of the campaign for the Weird <laughs> Coloring to Al, my Weird Al Yankovic coloring book and art book that we're doing with the great Felipe Sobrero. And then uh, you can also find me on Backer Kit, uh, where you can pre order The Joy of Trash and also visit my uh, shop, nathanraymond.com backslash shop, where you can buy The Weird Coloring to Al directly from me or pre order my other two books. So I write lots of books and I'm like, uh, Jay Sherman, I want you to buy my book. Indeed. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Clint Worthing. Um, I also run the podcast more of a comment really, which is a composer interview podcast, which you can find at M O A C R pod. Um, you can find the spool at the spool.net and on Twitter at the spool. And, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast, the spool of sound, uh, <laughs> the spool sound. You <laughs> please subscribe to this podcast on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your podcast platform may be. Please rate and review us. If you can, it helps us out a ton. If you want to support us, please pledge to our Patreon patreon.com slash triple cage we give you bonus patron only podcasts every month thanks so much for listening and now if you'll excuse me i gotta poop <laughs>